Hi, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm interested in talking to people who are interested in talking to people who are interested in having a conversation about their future. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Anyway, welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. James Lafferty is originally also from the UK, but now lives in Austin, Texas, having moved here in 2015. James is the VP of Global Talent Acquisition at Epicor Software, a four and a half thousand person software company. James is responsible for the strategy and operations of Epicor's talent acquisition teams, and he oversees global talent acquisition, executive recruiting, talent operations, employer branding, and university recruiting teams across 40 countries. Also, outside of work, he plays. He played competitive golf at college. He DJs. He's got over 3,000 records. He loves Forrest Gump. And he couldn't tell me what his favourite band was. So anyway, welcome to the podcast, James Lafferty. How are you, James? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Excellent, excellent stuff. Now, just having a chat with you a few minutes ago, you told me that Tiger Woods was the reason you didn't turn professional in golf. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I'm not pin, uh, pinning it all on him, but I, I uh, yeah, was uh, yeah, I was a very competitive golfer. Played on the same golf team as uh, Justin Rose, Luke Donald. If you uh, play golf or know golf, you'll know about them. But then I watched Tiger Woods play. I realised how good you need to be to be uh, like do that as a living. And so I decided I need to find something else to do in my life. I didn't think it would be recruitment, but it, here here we are. That's amazing. So Tiger Woods actually inspired you not to become a professional golfer. Do you hold yeah, that against? Do you hold that against him? <laughs> yeah, I, I think if I ever met him, I'd probably tell him. But you yeah, know, it's probably unlikely. Um, no, I don't hold it against him. I think he's probably uh, say, saved me some heartache in the long run. Yeah, yeah. So, um, who's your favourite golfer? Is it Tiger or is it Rory? Uh, well, at the moment, Rory McIlroy is yeah. uh, is my favourite. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Excellent. Well, look, let's get into this. Um, and for context, let's start off by talking a little bit about your background, because before you became an in-house leader, you worked at Austin Fraser for 10 years That's on right. the agency side of the business. T- tell us a little bit about what your role was and, and you know some of the highlights of that experience. Sure. So, yeah, I was at Austin Fraser for 10 and a half years, as you mentioned. So I started off in um, the UK. So I was in Re- uh, Reading and uh, was running our perm teams, uh, doing tech recruitment for them. Uh, the opportunity, they, they wanted to open up in the US. And um, long story short, did a lot, a lot of research into where. And I ended up moving to Austin, Texas in 2015. So I thought of Texas as being, you know, uh, dusty saloons and cowboys, you know, maybe a bit stereotypical being from the UK, but kind of isn't? I, it's not, it's oh. green, like, it's, it's wonderful. So, uh, although very hot. So, um, I, yeah, so I moved here, set up Austin Fraser for the US and we opened up in, uh, Den- Austin, Denver, and Dallas. And yeah, we grew up, when I was there, I was, uh, the SVP of the US operations and we had, I had sort of about 50 recruiters on my team. Um, and we were just focused on uh, tech recruiting in uh, Texas and Colorado. So um, thoroughly yeah. enjoyed agency side. Yeah, I'm one of the pe- few people, you know, who leaves the agency side and still has very good things to say about it. Excellent stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody I know who's moved from agency to in-house, you know, remembers their time extremely fondly. And we're going to get into some of that. Um, I mean, sort of broadly speaking, if you look back on your agency career, 
What what was the toughest time that you had to endure? Was it when you first started off Austin Fraser? I think so. Yeah. So moving to the US without a you know employer brand, you know, hiring people um, to come and work for us. You know, we're you know, there's lots in the US. There's so many big uh, company recruitment companies to choose from, and we were you know a, a small fish in a big pond. So kind of selling the dream, but also as well as hiring people, speaking to customers. We walked into a market where we had no prior um, clients, no candidates, and building something from scratch. I think, um, you know, I look back and it was really, really tough. Uh, uh, however, I love building, right? I love building things. And it was just, I, so I found it really exciting because the people that I worked with were also into the, like the mission and the vision of where, or the right. possibilities. Right. So back in 2015, not that long ago, um, what were you just jumping on the phone and just introducing yourself and leveraging your British accent as much as That's, you could? Yeah, do you know what? I thought that you know the British accent would meant the red carpet would come rolling out, but it wasn't. It was much no. harder than that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. So I, but I was. Yeah, I was on the phones. I would do yeah business development with my team. I would go, you know do. I, I was very much in the trenches with everyone and made sure I wanted to get it up and running as quickly as possible. Um, you know because I've. I, gen- I genuinely believe like the momentum we needed to uh, like snowball very quickly into like growing yeah. as quickly as we did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, looking back at agency, which is where I've been my whole life, what did you love most about it? I, oh, there's a, there's a lot. I, I like, I like the, the people, the thrill of the chase. I liked the, the opportunity to work with, so many um, various companies. You know, it was all tech recruiting, but across many different industries. So I got to learn a little about a lot. You know, so, uh, about different industries, how different companies work, and the opportunity to like, just have some good brands uh, associated with like who we were working, some good customers that we worked with. So, you know, I felt that you know, from someone who started with just me, you know, it was just me. I had a five one two, which is the Austin area code. Uh, number and on day one it was just me calling um through to yeah working with like amazon walmart whole foods some some really big brands it was like that's the way i guess the most fulfilling piece second part to that was seeing people who started off as trainee recruiters who had never uh, recruited before going on to become you know managers directors and very successful and having very successful recruitment careers Okay, good. Yeah, that's great to hear. It, it's wonderful when it when you can help launch other people's careers and you know and take them from rookie recruiters to you know to earning tons of money and and really enjoying themselves. So that is that's very satisfying. W- why did you start to think eventually about switching from from agency to in house? Similar to what I mentioned before, you know, working with so many different companies, yeah, I got to see um, the how recruitment was done really well. And how recruitment can be the success or failure of uh, a company, a tech company. I've seen companies with really good products uh, recruit really badly and not fulfill their potential. On the, on the uh, counter to that, I've seen companies who maybe don't have the best product but recruit really well and go on to do, uh, to do great things. So I wanted to bring all of that knowledge into one place where I can make a, make a difference um, and stay around to see the success that recruitment can have within that organization. Um, and so that's, yeah, just 
you know, that, so that's pretty much why I wanted to do it. Yeah. Did you sort of see any downside to this? I mean, sometimes as an agency recruiter, I sort of proudly say to people, well, I, you know, I get to represent so many different brands. I can, I can really truly position myself as a consultant to my candidate and really help them find, you know, the best brand for them. Do you, did you see any potential downside to just representing a singular brand? I think, yes. Yeah. You know, going from an agency where you have the, the, you can run your own desk or, you know, run your own market. You can hire and fire clients, right? You know, you work with the ones that you want to. Um, whereas working for one business, you know, you can't fire your client because that's your job, right? So you have, it's everything is, you have to, if something's broken, you have to fix it. Right. And, and so if you, I feel like within talent acquisition, if you are a part of a company that is resistant to change or resistant to ideas, then it's going to stagnate pretty quickly. So I yeah. um, wanted to make sure that when I was joining an organization that they were truly, uh, truly understood the, I guess the impact that talent acquisition has on the, on the company and how, how important getting the right talent is. And so maybe that was like a little bit of apprehension going into, uh, you know, the talent acquisition world from uh, the staffing agency yeah. world. Um, but it's been, uh, yeah, joining the right company has made a tremendous difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, instead of firing your client, you just have to re-educate them because at the end of the day, it takes a village and it's not just about, the talent acquisition and recruiting team. It's about partnering efficiently with all your internal stakeholders and everybody singing the same song. Otherwise, the whole thing falls over like a house of cards, doesn't it? Uh, exactly. And, you know, I, I think there's not too many other industries where, you know, someone with no experience can tell someone with experience, like, that they think they're right. Yeah. And I think that happens in, in recruiting, right? You often have hiring managers who have never re been a recruiter, tell a recruiter how to do something. Whereas I think it's more of a, um, you know, you need to use like data and a consultative approach to understand why they want things the way they want it. Um, and then educate them on maybe if there's a better way to do it, because sometimes they don't know and they've just done it the same way forever. And that's what's worked, but you know, it doesn't mean that's going to work forever. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with all the stereotypes around agency versus in-house recruiters. How has your experience in going in-house sort of reshaped your view of, of both agency and in-house recruiters? Sure. So, yeah, that's a, it's a good, good question because I think in, so in the past, when, okay, when I was in, the, going back a few years, I think there was a very stereotypical view of like in-house recruiters and it was seen as maybe a more of an administrative um role where you know just moving people through the process and i think there's been actually a transformation over the last few certainly few years where because so, i saw it myself when i had really successful agency recruiters go and join in-house talent acquisition functions um and i think that actually there's you know the the skill of internal talent acquisition is is different there's a lot of similarities but i think there's um you know maybe the i I never thought I was going to go in-house. I thought I was going to say in uh, an agency world forever, but I, I realized that actually this is something that I wanted to do and it's very fulfilling because you can actually see the company uh, grow and succeed yeah. because of your efforts. Yeah. I, I think agency recruiters have always sort of prided themselves on being more outbound in their recruiting efforts. But 
But, you know, in my, in my position over the last few years, I've noticed how corporate recruiters, you know, had to learn those skills in order to compete in these candidate-driven markets that we were in and, you know, became much more like headhunters themselves. I, I know some phenomenal in-house recruiters. And, and I used to sort of, you know, sneer over the fence and say, oh, that's not for me. Um, but, but I think some of the best recruiters have actually gone in-house. Would you agree? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you've got, I think they're very different roles. Although they're, yeah. you know, recruiting people for positions, they're very different, uh, you know, opportunities. And it's what motivates you, gets you out of bed in the morning. And I, But I do think, so when, when I came in to, to Epicor, yeah, I wanted to run the talent acquisition team a bit like an agency, right? So you've got that same hunger and desire to fill the positions with the best people. That maybe the, the difference is, you know, agency side, you, you have your guarantee period, right? Where you have someone who, you know, they have to last a certain period of time and then it's kind yeah. of on, on, on the company. Whereas going in house, it's like you want that person to stick around for years, you know, it's because if you don't, you're going to have to fill the position again. And so I think it's, yeah, certainly different, you know, different yeah. challenges. Yeah. Sort of looking at, through another lens, what do you think the number one lesson is that agency can learn from in-house now that you're on the other side of the fence? So uh, what agency can learn from in-house? I think that you know, it's, it's actually really, uh, really interesting C- coming to the other side because I've, I now see all of the pitches and what everyone is pitching me about the services they offer. And it's maybe a bit uh and it makes me reflect on my agency days and how transactional it was. It was, here's a job, I've got candidates, um, and this can help you. Um, but maybe I, I think that agent from the agency side, it's maybe look to solve the bigger problems, right? It's not about the ones and two positions that we maybe have open right now, but understanding like what's hard to fill, like where, you know, where can you add value beyond just hiring and have like a true partnership, um, like for like big, yeah, so solving some of the bigger challenges. This episode of Recruiting Trailblazers is brought to you by Vertical Move. Vertical Move builds world-class digital transformation, product and software engineering teams by sourcing only the top 5% of passive technical talent. Vertical Move's AI-powered digital skills assessment and paired programming protocols exemplify the most qualified candidates thus expediting the hiring process and saving customers valuable time and resources. Vertical move for technical talent you can trust. You, you know, when I think about talent acquisition, you know, a bit more holistically, and, and you work for a company where you're responsible for, I believe, hiring up to 1,200 people a year. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny because... Talent acquisition was, first of all, it was domain of HR for the longest time. And then eventually it split off to become its own vertical. Um, but in your experience, you know, how does corporate America view talent acquisition these days in terms of its importance to the business? Because I see that as the very engine that's driving growth. And sometimes it feels like it's just a distant cousin to some of the other sort of C-suite functions. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a, good, a really good question. Because I think if you'd asked me this question last year, Right. It would have been a very different answer to what it is this year. And I think talent acquisition, you know, we've, we've seen like the boom to gloom market. Last year, recruiters were uh, more desirable or hotly contested, um, 
yeah, I want to say highly desirable rather than software engineers. And I've never seen that before. But then in the space of 12 months, it goes to, you know, recruitment seen as the cost center, you know, recruitment like, and being cut this year. And, you know, if you spend any time on LinkedIn doom scrolling, it's just layoff after layoff. And typically that is within talent acquisition. So if you'd asked me last year, I would have said, yeah, talent acquisition has a seat at the table everywhere. But this year, it's clearly not at that level of maturity. I think it depends on the company, right? So if a company is not looking to to grow or, you know, they've overspent and, you know, they're not looking, the, the forecast of hiring isn't looking good, then maybe talent acquisition isn't the most important thing. However, if a company does want to you know, beat its competition, get access to the best candidates, then talent acquisition needs to be, you know, side by side with the executives of the business because their success is dependent on, the people yeah. that which they hire. Um, so it's just how the company views talent acquisition, really, rather than it, it being a, like industry, industry um, specific. Yeah, I mean, I think every C-suite in corporate America should include a chief hiring officer. And some of them do. And some of them have chief people officers. And, and if you're in a period where you're not hiring, then you may well be top grading, but you're strategizing and looking around the corner and, and figuring out the next phase of growth and what that looks like. I, I feel that that... that Function deserves representation in every C-suite, but that's just me. <laughs> that's no, so, no. I, th- I completely agree. Um, you know, it's it's so important. And uh, so, our, I, this time, well, as I said, let's say nine months ago, I spoke. I was speaking to my my teams. I've got teams that you know around the world, and I I said, look, I don't believe that 2023 is going to be hiring the same number of people that we were hired in 2022. So I want us to think about differently. So rather than as, you know, if I'm asking you, so what have you been doing? I don't want to hear, we don't want to hear like, oh, I've hired this many people. I was like, I want to leave hiring, put, step that aside, how many people you've hired. Talk, let's talk about the value you're adding to the business. And what are you doing, which is going to be setting the foundations to set us up for success for when we do grow aggressively again, because it will happen again. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that meant, there's so many different programs when you're working in-house that you can look at, looking at what we say, you know, our employer branding, our pipelining, looking at candidate experience. Yeah. We've also invested a lot into uh, a lot of time and energy into um, mapping out the markets. So where where is the talent? You know, we've typically hired you know, the say like developers in this country. Is that the right place? Is that the right city? You know, and kind of really going back to the business with ideas and you know so like just so setting the foundation so when we set the or the talent strategies so we can talk about like is this right for the future and it was quite it was really actually a blessing in disguise to pause you know from the if you're hiring one after the next it you're kind of on a bit of a treadmill whereas this pause has actually set like been a uh, great for us to set up all the right programs to be able to like set up to scale in the future. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And I think most companies never make time to really look around the corner and start to think about how can we build relationships with these talent pools and these potential candidates that we might need to hire six months from now, a year from now, so that when it comes time to sort of pull the trigger and, you know, get on the phone to them, they're aware of the brand and they, they know that we're a great company and, and they're open to having that conversation. And I think, you know, 
back in the day, you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, there was no time for that whatsoever. It was just bums on seats. Let's get as many people in as to interview as possible because we know everybody's got multiple offers on the table. You know, how, how stressful is it now in the reverse in terms of not having that level of growth um, and, and obviously, you know, having internal teams worried about their jobs. How, how have you adapted to this new kind of um, mindset that we've got right now, which is very much sort of like, you know, we're in our foxholes waiting for the next upturn to happen? Yeah. And so I want us uh, to make sure that we're pro- like proactive with everything we do. Right. So it's seeing around, around the corners um, and rather than just waiting for jobs to open back up again, it's we're getting ideas for across the business you know so so uh ideas what you know how we can improve our our level of service with our hiring managers how we can improve our employer brand yeah and then creating is it use different skills to like more pro, like program management project management you know to you know successfully deliver what we need to when we're not hiring as much but it also everything that we do is being able to articulate the value back to the business. You know, it's not just, hey, we're doing this because it suits us or it's going to make our lives easier. But actually, what's the outcomes that are going to help the business, uh, like drive more revenue, you know, get, get better talent, you know, see less attrition, these kind of things that we can then, when we're talking to the executives, actually yeah. is speaking their language. Right, because otherwise, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, internal teams have to justify their existence if they're not growing the team right now. And I truly believe that it's a big mistake to lay off most of your TA team because there's a downturn, because there's plenty of other work that can be done. And, and we'll get into it in a minute when we talk about employer branding. Um, but then when you have to sort of like bring a bunch of new recruiters on, there's such a learning curve I feel like it's to a certain extent people have shot themselves in the foot by laying off so many internal recruiters, and and there are plenty out there who still haven't found their way back to work. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've experienced a lot of people approaching you, haven't you? Yeah, so I've had some good friends, some previous colleagues who have all been in that in the, who are in that situation, and I know that if there was ever an opportunity, you know, I'd hire them in a heartbeat. But you know, we we've kind of remained pretty pretty stagnant or steady you know which in this market has been a a blessing being able to do that because we know that we're going to be ready to go again yeah yeah so you mentioned employer branding and I, i have a few thoughts about employer branding i'm not sure sometimes i'm not sure how i feel about it because i think above the line employer branding is kind of disingenuous i think the best kind of employer branding is getting your employees to, to, to sing and shout from the rooftops about how much they enjoy working there. And that's the best type of employer branding. But what kind of initiatives have you got underway and how are they paying off? So I work, so I work for Epicor, right? And I've been in technical, so we're a software company and we've got so offices around the world. I started off doing tech, tech recruiting in uh, Reading and doing the Thames Valley region and Epicor have got an office in in Bracknell, and I'd never really heard of them. I then jo- I you know worked worked uh, the tech recruitment market in Austin, and that's where the Epicor headquarters is. And again, I'd never really heard of them. And so I was like, well, so when I found out you know about this opportunity, I was like, this com- the company's been around for fifty years, and I've worked in tech recruitment 
for was it 16 years and I hadn't really heard of them. So I, it was either me doing my job poorly or they weren't great at doing employer branding. But, you know, um, I, I, I don't know which one it was, but I was realized that this is actually a really good company. When I got in, you know, it's, you realize it's good people, good products, very profitable and successful. Um, yeah, privately owned. And so I wanted us to start on a, a like a uh, employer branding journey and, there's lots of different ways in which to do that. There's one, um, you know, obviously where we get the name, uh, it's get, getting the name out there. Now our marketing team do that. We sponsor, um, Alpha Tori Formula One cars. We do, do a lot of, uh, so branding on that from a customer you know, standpoint, but employer branding, I think, you know, looking so you mentioned about our, um, getting candidate, uh, people who work here to sing, right? So I said this on my first day to my, my boss. Where it's like, well, you know, recruitment, you, you've got a big, there's a big job ahead of you. You've got a lot, you know, you've got a lot, lot going on at the moment. We need to hire all these people. Yeah. Cause you know, recruitment's your job. And I said, well, I was like, hang on. Recruitment is everyone's job, right? So it's not just mine. You know, I said, and what I mean by that is if a hiring manager reviews recruitment as this is talent acquisitions job, then they're not going to be equally as engaged to partner or they're not going to you know, be as committed to hiring these people. It's more of a transactional thing. So I wanted it to move to everyone viewing the like philosophy of um, recruitment. Everyone plays a part. It's a team sport. And the better we can do it as a team, the better candidates we can get. So we've got some initiatives which are like on maybe our social media. So rather than just recruiters posting the jobs, Hiring managers also post the jobs. Hiring managers will also sometimes send messages to candidates, you know, that, that they're interested in. We will help them and facilitate all of that. But, uh, you know, there's much better metrics when a hiring manager messages a potential candidate rather than a recruiter. So we've got, you know, that level of engagement with our hiring managers. But, um, you know, looking at our referral campaigns as well, you know, that's always a good barometer of, how employees feel about their job. Uh, you know, it's like, do, would they recommend it to their friends? Yeah. Um, and so that's the internal side. There's a few others, but then on the, on the external side, I think our employer, when I, when I think about employer branding, I, the end goal is always for when someone applies to us, I want them to always want to be at work here, whether they get the job or not. Right. And that's basically based on the candidate experience. So, and the good test of a, a great candidate experience is someone who doesn't get the job, but still wants to work here. And it could just be a case of they're not quite right right now. But, you know, I look at things long, we look at things longer term. Yeah, absolutely. It, you want to make advocates so, out of everybody, even if they don't get the job. Absolutely. And we had one last, last week actually within our professional services group where, you know, so someone who didn't get the job, um, like six months ago, referred someone that they knew to a very similar job. Um, and they got the job and, you know, they were, so they get, they don't get a fee or there's nothing in it for them, but they just said, this was such a good experience. I, I'm going to share my, uh, your information with some of my colleagues. And I was like, that's actually a really nice thing to, yeah, to, to do. And I was like, I, I, you know, that's a one specific example. I'm sure that happens a, a lot of times and I'd like it to happen even more where people, have such a good experience um, or have such a belief in what we're doing yeah. that they ref, you know, will shout out, out about us. Cause that's yeah. like more organic than us saying, this is how great we are. Look at our glass door. 
Yeah. I mean, somebody once said to me, I've repeated this many times on the podcast, that it's just as important to give your candidates an incredible experience as, as your customers. In fact, give right. them the same experience so that they advocate for your brand. And if you think about how many people you interview versus how many people you hire, there's a lot more people who don't get the job than do get the job. So you may as well make advocates out of them as well. And then you've got other people in the marketplace representing your brand, even if that seems somewhat idealistic. But I think it happens. So something that we we offer, which is, yeah, I'll give you a very uh, specific example. So for everyone that doesn't get the job or doesn't get a job with us, but uh, is applied or interviewed, um, we send them like, career coaching so they there's a link to um it's called like your next step right so and it's so you know you we send it to them they sign up and it's like here's how to write a resume here's some interview tips here's some nice um, ways in which you can hear about different jobs with other companies not just us and i see it as a way for us to you know they've invested their time in us to research the company apply to the job or go through interviews we want to make it like Hey, we're going to give something back to you. In, um, unfortunately, it can't be a job right now, but let's give something back. And then, you know, hopefully it helps you with your, your, let's say your next step. Yeah. And are you very intentional in the way you reach out and give feedback to candidates who don't get the job? Yeah. So I think, so we have, um, you know, different, um, I guess throughout the whole process, right? We get, tens and tens of thousands of applicants for jobs. So it's unwritten, like, unrealistic for every recruiter to speak to every uh, applicant however if people are going through interviews we want to make sure that yeah they leave with a uh yeah it, obviously you know, if it doesn't work out you know, it's bad news but there's you know you want to have some tan- tangible feedback that you could take forward to your next your next interview and learn from it or you know give it a, have an opportunity to you know, rebuttal or like come back with something and say actually i may you know maybe you said that i didn't have this however i just didn't answer it uh, appropriately in the interview and here's what I would, would say. And so we may be, we don't, you know, it might be an un, unturned stone, right? So yes, yeah. we are intentional with it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's all part of the candidate experience. And it sounds like you guys do a pretty good job with that. How are you going to tackle growth moving forward? Because um, I think a lot of companies have laid, you know, many of their recruiters off and um, a lot of them have, you know, redistributed them amongst their workforce and have them doing other things that, that you mentioned. Um, but do you think that companies are going to sort of go back to racking and stacking, you know, tons of recruiters? You mentioned earlier when recruiters were more valuable than software developers. I heard that a few times as well. Do you think we're going to go back to those days or do you think people are going to tackle the next upturn differently and maybe optimize you know, with technology, the way they go about doing the job and, or, or maybe take a more flexible approach and have like contract recruiters. How, how do you think the next upturn is going to look? Yeah. So I, I think that there will be a lot of companies who maybe in hindsight realized they did the wrong things. Like, like in last year, it was higher at all costs. Let's just throw more recruiters at it. And it was never really scalable. It was a bit, a bit of a bubble ready to pop. I think that, you know, there has been an evolution with technology, so it can make recruiters more efficient. I do think recruiters add a ton of value where technology maybe can't pick up all of it. And I think there's there's going to be um, definitely more opportunity for contract recruiters or like gig recruiters. You know, again, I think that that works for everyone. 
you know, the companies, they, you know, going to have a hiring surge yep. and you don't want to go through the damaging process and rep or your reputation by hiring and firing recruiters like, at, you know, or treating them as a commodity. So contract is a, is a good way to do it. And I think that also works for the recruiters as well. You know, no one wants to be you know, fully into a role and, you know, thinking about the long term, but actually the company is more short sighted about getting more out of you quickly. So I think, you know, it would, I, I think it's a bit of a, a, was a nice middle ground where you can have, you know, a good contract, uh, talent acquisition model to yeah. help with hiring surges um, and re- uh, maintain a, a good branding. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of recruiters have been left with, you know, a nasty taste in their mouth because they were asked for their loyalty at their yeah. previous companies. And then the minute the economy turned, they were the first to go. And and yeah, of course, because we're not hiring anymore. Um, but, but I'd ask a lot of companies, you know, where's your loyalty? You're asking me for loyalty. You're asking me for the extra hours and the working hard and adopting the culture and being a team player. And then the second things get tough for your shareholders, you know, you show me the door. And I yeah. think... I think a lot of recruiters are going to be reluctant to go down that route again, and they may choose a more flexible sort of lifestyle for themselves if if that is indeed on offer. And I think it may be. I think a lot of companies, as you said, are going to look at a, a more flexible way of building their recruiting capabilities. I'm also wondering whether or not on the tech side, the same is going to be true, whether they think, whether companies are thinking, you know, maybe we should hire a more flexible workforce as well instead of having to lay off, you know, all these software developers as well. Maybe in the next upturn, we'll start to utilize contracting a bit more or, you know, more flexible, maybe contract to hire. Do you see that happening as well? Specifically on the, on the tech side, I think that there's always been a, a really good contract market. Um, and I think that the, when you look at contracting, I mean, it depends what country you're in, right? So, I mean, because there's, you can offshore a lot of engineering depends on what problems you're trying to solve or how much product knowledge you need. So I think there's, there's always good, you know, we call it like pressure relief valves, right? You know, you've got a backlog of work and you can just go, right, I'm going to turn on this, you know, offshore model or this contract model. Um, and that's going to help us with, you know, get back up to where we need to be. So I think, yeah, that's always been a consistent, um, but the, I guess the difference is whether it's, you know, in the, which, which country it's in. And I think it's, you know, the world of, I don't want to get into it too much, but like, the, yeah. you know, the last few years, there's the borders have been sort of blown apart because, you know, now you have access to a global workforce. So it's about getting the best, you know, best talent and what's right for your business, whether yeah. it's time zones, cost, quality, you know, you look at all of the different things which are important to you and then you can narrow down where, where you need those resources. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Those borders did sort of disappear for a while, but now you've got companies who are implementing these return to office strategies. And a lot of companies like Goldman Sachs last week said, you know, it's back to work everybody five days a week. And I think that's going to cause some attrition because a lot of people have moved now and they they went to live in places where there aren't offices readily available for them to sort of, you know, attend every day. And I think that could drive quite a lot of recruitment as well. What what about, you know, a company of your size, what about the usage and leverage of agencies, executive search, you know, recruitment agencies, yeah. et cetera? Do you see more of that coming down the pike as well? 
So I, I, um, okay. So yeah. So we're, we're answering specifically about the agency piece. So when I, I when I joined um, F4, I was like, who's on our, who's our preferred suppliers list? Who, yeah, what agencies do we we use when we need help? And I uh, I inherited a list of ninety agencies. Yeah, like that's nine zero agencies. And I was like, oh wow, like that's a lot. I said, well, okay. So I went out, you know, went out to all of them. I was like, who have you placed in the last 12 months, 24 months? And then got all those answers. And I looked at, uh, we, well, me and my team, we looked up those employees, like who was still here, who was good, like how many have they made and kind of did a bit of a um, scorecard, right? And we're like, who yeah. are the good ones? And it actually worked out that we, you know, we like, we haven't got any true partners here. Yeah, we've got people who are doing spot business. So, and then last year, we were, um, we, I, was, I was like, oh, we need some help, right? The TA team, you know, everyone's got lots of positions to recruit and they've got, you know, the, you know more than they can handle. So let's use use some agencies. And we, we used uh, a few last year, which really helped us. You know, they came and they were, they weren't just filling jobs. They were coming to our company events. They were coming to our offices. They were part, you know, partnering with our hiring managers really well. And it was a great um, collaboration because I, when I'd speak to them, I'd say, I, I know what it's like being an agency and in an agency. And I know if you say, oh, you can't speak to the hiring manager, you have to do this, you have to jump through these hoops. No one's good, or you don't pay very good fees, right? You're not going to be motivated or interested to do this job. So I was like, I want fewer, fewer companies and for them to do it really well. Uh, and that worked well. So, and I think that coming back to, yeah, like this year, I think there's going to be, yeah, as the market picks up, there's going to be a really good opportunity for agencies because there's going to be so many of these tech companies who have been used to hiring a lot of people and then they maybe laid off their recruiters or talent yep. acquisition team. And then they go, the manager's like, I need to hire that same number of people again. But then when they look at the TA team, they haven't got the capacity to deliver. So there's going to be gaps in like, what, what the TA team are capable of and what they, the business needs them to deliver. And yeah. so I think the, the main thing is getting partnerships with great agencies that you can trust. They can, you know, they can be a true business partner to you. And there's a hundred percent trust in us. To, you know, for, for me, I'm like, I just want to please the business, right? I just, we, cause if we fill these jobs and the business is happy, it means we're getting more revenue with the, you know, doing great things and we're getting great candidates that, you know, being yeah. sat too proud to go, well, I'm just going to take it all for myself. And then I've got some upset hiring managers with how long it takes, or we're not getting the quality of candidates. You know, that just reflects poorly on my planning. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, these days you've got your big box recruitment companies, um, very generalist sort of, you know, I won't name names, but good companies. And, and then you've got your more sort of boutique agencies often who have, you know, a fantastic footprint in a given vertical or technology, and they're able to really produce some fantastic passive candidates, you know, at times. And, and even today, you know, it doesn't just because, you know, we've had a bunch of layoffs. I think a lot of our clients have said it's still hard to find really top tier candidates in, in a lot of these like cutting edge technologies. Don't you find that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've we look at the the vacancies we have. You know, we've got over a hundred at the moment we're hiring for, and that you know the ones that were hard to fill a year ago are still hard to fill. Yeah, you know, 
So it's not like the market is like um, a buyer's market. You know, it's not like all these candidates are knocking, banging on our doors to yeah. join us. You know, they're still employed. They, you know, they've got you know, good salaries. You know, they've got the flexibility. They've got still got all that. And so it's, um, yeah, it's still a challenge. And I'd, I'd absolutely, um, I truly value working with, yeah. uh, with agencies. Brilliant stuff. When you look in your crystal ball, what, what do you see happening over the next sort of six to 12 months? Do you see things picking up again? Is, do you have a lot of optimism inside Epicor? I, uh, within Epicor, absolutely. You know, we've, we've very, you know, very fun, very stable, had a, had a great sales year. You know, the, we produce an ERP software for the make, move and sell economy. So, um, yeah, yeah, we are, we're still do, doing really well. I think we will continue to grow and we, as we have done for the last well, number of years, I think within the market, I think it will cautiously grow. I think it will cautiously, I'm cautiously optimistic. And I think, yeah, we won't kind of go back to what we were doing last year, whereas, you know, just hiring without, you know, the good times never end. I think people will start to um, spot the opportunity to be like, well, if we start hiring sooner, then we can beat our competition. And it's sometimes a race to the, you know, to the market. So I think there's also going to be a lot of, um, a lot of change within the market. And I mean this by in the past, the fan companies were always this highly desirable. Yeah. They're, they're, they're where people want to work. And I think that the way in which the last year has panned out with the, the layoffs and the, and the brand, I think a lot of small and mid-sized companies have the opportunity to, you know, uh, as they punch above their weight, but actually you get, like go and get some really yeah. good talent um, because they're, you know, the glitz and glamour of the big tech companies has maybe lost its shine a bit. Yeah, it certainly has. And uh, words of wisdom there from James Lafferty. I really appreciate you coming along the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun to get to know you. And uh, so let's keep in touch and speak again soon. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Okay. Cheers.